Hello and welcome to Middle of the Dial, a music podcast for the entertainment website Middle of the Row. My name is Jonathan Rahul. I'm your host. And the ninth episode of Middle of the Dial is a conversation with musician Stephen Christian. Stephen is known for being the frontman for the band Anne Berlin, but has also been putting out solo material under the moniker of Anchor and Braille since 2004. He has recently released the song Dangerous, which will be on his next full-length album, Tension, and will be released May 22nd on Tooth & Nail Records. We had a chance to talk about the creative process for this record and his previous releases, and also the recent Anne Berlin tours and how those got together. This was one of my favorite interviews to date, as you can hear his energy and enthusiasm while he talks about his role as an artist, father, and pastor, and I'm so appreciative that he took the time to sit down and chat with me. So, without further ado, here's my talk with Stephen Christian. First and foremost, because I think it's the question that is on everyone's minds and probably the thing being the most culturally significant right now, how do you feel having Tom Brady now on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Wow. You know, as a New Orleans Saints fan, I'm, I, I could care less, and I hope that he does not succeed in any way, shape, or form. But being from Florida, you know, I'm so happy. I, You know, all, like, three of the other guys in the band are huge Bucks fans. And so, I mean, the first thing I did, I, did, I just got off, you know, I, I texted all three of them, Dion, Joey, and, and Nate, and just said, congratulations, man. That's so fun. I can't wait to play you guys twice a year. I mean, Breeze, Brady, Ryan, and Bridgewater all in the same division. The NFC South is stacked. We are just, we're going to be the funnest division to watch. I mean, Saints, of course, will come out on top, but, you know. <laughs> uh, no, it's really cool. You know, it's built a lot of, like, electricity locally, and, you know, the Bucks. Fans um, have have sat through you know years and years of being just slaughtered, so it's it, I you know I'm I'm happy for them, you know, and uh, we'll see where it goes, man. It's exciting. I mean, I I wish I wish they weren't in the NFC South and they'd be like my second favorite team, but they just are. So forget them, you know. <laughs> More personally, what what have you been up to during the lockdown and kind of quarantine? How have you been staying sane and staying busy? Man, it's been tough. You know, it's a new kind of weariness. It's a new kind of, um, you know, I think that that it's just it's had different effects on so many people. Um, I'm, some friends of mine are isolating and depressed. Other introvert friends of mine are living their best life. Uh, you know, it's just I mean, it runs the whole gambit. But for me, you know, like I'm luckily get a chance to um, I'm here with my wife and kids. And so we get a lot of bonding time, you know, a lot of time to like, you know, teach them. And, and uh, they're out of school right now. So my wife is homeschooling. And um, so so I'm helping out with that. A lot of creative pro- projects that have kind of just sat on the waist, you know, by the side you know, the road because, I mean, I've been too busy. Suddenly I don't have that excuse anymore. So I. I've been, you know, working on different projects with a friend of mine named Reacted. Uh, his name is Brad on Reacted Media. I've been doing a lot of stuff for for the church that I'm that I'm currently working at Grace Family Church. Um, you know, you name it. It's just it's been a it's just been a gambit of different passion projects. Been been playing the guitar a lot more than I have. Been running. I can't believe I'm like jogging. You know, it's just I got to get out of the house. So it's just been a lot of fun. So just man, anything, anything and everything to keep. And I'll keep my mind preoccupied on the fact that um, I'm kind of in a self-made prison, but you know, a fun prison. But uh, but still, anywhere anywhere that you are for more than two weeks is kind of uh, it should be uh, deemed a prison. But then, how do you maintain that balance of being like you just mentioned three different things, like uh, 
you're a father, you're a pastor, you're a musical artist. How do you maintain that balance? And um, what has that experience been like then? I think beyond compartmentalizing, I think every each and every one of us have to develop a, a pretty uh, symmetrical life work balance, you know, and, and right now it's, it, it kind of coexists and cohabitates because, you know, like five minutes before talking to you, I was, you know, helping the kids with some Easter baskets, you know, like, you know, you know, and then, you know, five minutes after we're done with this call, I'm jumping on another call for my, for my work. So everything's in limbo, but I think the cool thing about this era of time, especially in the workforce and with the family force, it's it's everybody's giving each other grace. You know, if they can't make it here, they can't make it there. Um, if they're available this time, but not this time, I think everybody just kind of understands like we are working with a brand new normal and we're not and no one's very crystallized as to what that looks like. You know, so I think uh, everybody's giving each other ample amounts of grace. I could be doing a better job of it, but, uh, you know, it's just. Being around the being around the kids and wife twenty four hours a day seven days a week for almost three weeks now I think we're all at a point where it's beyond social distancing it's more like family distancing so yeah. <laughs> what a, what yeah, so, would you say if you if you can share with us what do you think is one of has been one of the highlights of like a family moment or like a, a snapshot into something you were able to do with your wife and kids that was like yeah. really fun. Dude, so I have a two-year-old daughter, and she is a blast. She's the loudest little screamer. I mean, she's just so wild. I love her. And um, I will, you know, I will look back at this time, and I know there's heartache, and I'm not trying to minimize the economic damage and the health. All I'm not trying to minimize, but for me, I'll look back with fondness in, a, in one particular way, in the fact that her and I got to connect so deeply. Like these last two and a half weeks, we've we've. We've been around each other so much. When she wakes up, she's crying for dad. In the middle of the night, she's looking for me. Like it's just, it's it's been incredible. Her and I have just completely bonded, and she's like my little best friend. So it's been that in that one regard. I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be Mr. Brightside and oh, I'm only looking at the positive. There's a lot of negatives, but in that one regard, man, it has been so incredible. That'll be the highlight when I look back at this time period. Um, what I take away from this. That's awesome. Is there any like one activity that you share with her that's like really special that she's really uh, grown attached to or like the thing that like defines the you and her time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's we have a pool. So swimming in the pool has been really cool because it's been so cold. You know, obviously the wind through the winter and then it's just now warming up in Florida. But like the last week and a half, two weeks, it's been warm enough that we can go swimming and she's having a blast. She would be out there for like all day if she could. So just, you know, playing around with her and she jumps off the wall now and just all that little that kind of stuff just makes it so much fun, man. Just kind of looking at the world through her eyes now yeah. has been horrible. That's awesome. Uh, I am already highly je jealous of her because I have no... Um, aquatic survival techniques whatsoever. <laughs> um, I can barely doggy paddle, so she's got that up on me. There you go. Well, she wears a like a floaty that just encompasses her entire body, basically. It's pretty if she, funny. If she knows of any uh, any similar devices appropriate for thirty year old men, uh, have, her, <laughs> have her pass that information on to me. You got it. You got it. Um, you were mentioning earlier just kind of how this time is very unique and in the ways that we've been able to adapt in terms of society and just even within your family structure and work. Um, talking specifically about your artistic uh, pursuits, because um, we have this new 
release for Anchor and Braille coming out. I wonder if you could talk us through just very generally sort of the evolution of that project or maybe even your input on Anne Berlin and just sort of what that's been like as an artist for for that time. Are you saying, just to clarify the question, are you saying like during this period of time, how does creativity exist or how has it existed prior to this? Oh, pr- prior to this. So just talking yeah. us through like the evolution of uh, your artistic vision, let's say, for Anchor yeah. and Braille. Um, Absolutely. Spe- I mean, even specifically going from the last record, um, which was awesome and fantastic like the previous records, but everyone noticed a, a very drastic kind of stylistic change. Um, what was that like? And then also, what is that looking like for the future of Anne Berlin? Or not Anne Berlin, excuse me, Anchor and Braille. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a songwriter first and foremost, and then I just contribute that music to either, you know, Anne Berlin or whatever project like I'm surrounding myself and each with. And, and each one is so different. It's like a, a different human, a different characteristic, a different, I'll call it even just like a wife in the fact that you invest so much time, energy. And so for me, Anchor and Braille was more of just a passion project. It was songs that, you know, I may have written and, and just felt like, man, they could never exist on an Amber Lynn record. And so I'll just put them on an Anchor and Braille record. And each one also is stands alone in the simple fact that, um, you know, it's it's a lot of music that, I'm, that I was into it while while writing that record for instance you know that first record is very indie i'll call it like more my um more my ryan adams record and then the second record i was heavily influenced like by the national and by the third record i was super into to m88 and uh sorry m83 and, and um uh empire of the sun and so it's just kind of like building momentum on each 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 you know they just if you listen to them in subsequent order, they make sense. Mm-hmm. If taking one song off one record and one off the other, it kind of feels haphazard. But, you know, this isn't one of those projects. I, I don't recommend artists to ever change drastically their style every record. That would just, that's a, you might as well just stop. You might, you know, because you're going to lose fans every return. But for me, this wasn't a project where I was trying to gain notoriety or fame or success or feed my family or um, try to make it big. It's just kind of like, it was just kind of the overflow of my heart or the overflow of the songs or just my the, the music that's constantly like playing in my head, just kind of getting them out of my head and onto paper and onto Pro Tools and then getting them out into the world so they can have, live a life of their own. And so that's kind of what Anchor and Braille always was, was just kind of a, a byproduct of the machine um, that that is my brain as far as when it comes to songwriting. And I've, and I've heard a lot of similar stories, you know, as far as like authors, when they just start writing, they can't stop. It just like, it just, you're exercising that, that creative muscle so much, it just continues and goes and goes and goes. And you get different ideas. And the same with songwriting. If I start songwriting for Anchor and Braille, an Anne Berlin song, you know, formulates, you know, comes together. You know, or if I'm trying to write, you know, okay, I got to get back in the studio for Amberlynn. Like I just start writing in an Anchor Braille song, or I've, you know, I've, I've, I've given some songs to other bands. I've, I've written songs for other projects, you know, that aren't mine. And so you just, you know, once you start that snowball of creativity, it just doesn't stop. You just got to continue on. And so I think a lot of what you hear off Anchor and Braille is just my mind formulating at at such a hyper speed um, that that it has to come out somewhere. Does that does that differentiate between because your last project was the 
the worship album for with wildfires does was it weird getting into a different headspace of thinking okay i don't have to be so maybe cognizant of what my lyrical content or my thematic content or what the maybe what this will sound in a worship context is like was that what were the headspaces like in or how are they different for both of those projects both wildfires and then coming back into anchor and braille yeah man wildfires that was a tough record to write because um even though i had a lot of great co-writers and had a lot of fun creating the project for me it was like it's a totally different sound it's a totally different vibe um man it's just a emotionally spiritually physically it's just it's totally separate entity you know anchor and braille and amber led feel almost effortless to write it's just kind of in my wheelhouse and this was completely out and i think that's why i wanted to challenge myself and try to write something like that and so it is it's it's um it is a different headspace completely and i don't think that you know if you you know with amber lynn it was it became our profession it's how we fed our family it's how we drove success and fame and notoriety and traveling and all these feeding you know feeding so many mouths and touring and all this stuff well it just felt like I was treading on some type of different holy ground when I was in the worship project. And all that never came into play while writing the worship record, you know. And so it's a different, it's a different complete headspace. You know, I had to turn a lot of stuff off, you know, mentally to be able to just focus on, um, you know, a different, obviously a different lyrics, different sound. Um, and uh, sticking it, there's a whole different game that has to be played over here in the worship world and a different you know record label and everything it's just a lot so um yeah I, I, there's no comparing the two they're drastically different it's the only thing that they have in commonality is that you know you use instruments and a vocal cord you know but that's about where the where the line ends what was that so then what was that transition like going from uh being a full-time touring musician and recording musician who that was your profession to then stepping into a pastoral both uh, with Calvary and then now the church you're with now. Yeah, it's a totally, I mean, I mean, it's two different lives, two different complete lives. You know, one, I was away from my family. One, the pastoral, I was with my family. One was very egocentric. The other, completely altruistic. I mean, it's on every spectrum. It's just the opposite. And both have great qualities to them and both have their, and both have their negatives. Um, but, I think at the end of the day, I'm so happy I made the decisions that I've made, you know, in the past, and um, I'm I'm excited that Amberlynn got has has the legacy that it has and is still allowed to continue and play shows when we can and where we can. Um, and so it's really that's a, that's a unique entity that a lot of bands don't get. But I but there's no there's no parallels again. There's just no paralleling the lives. I think a lot of mu- a lot of musicians have a really really hard time. Because what happens is they become, and this happens with sports figures. This happens with uh, a lot of you know careers in which, like actors, in which they ha- their identity is wrapped up in what they do. So I'm Stephen from Amberlynn. I'm this player from this team. I'm you know this you know Olympian from this you know country. And then when all that's gone, because, you know, not everybody can be the Rolling Stones, you know, well, actually, you know what I'm saying, very, very few bands can can live on and, and do be a generational band. Um, and, and so once that ends, 
they're left with this massive void and chasm in who they are because no longer am I this from this band. I'm just Stephen Christian. You know, I'm not Stephen from Amberlynn anymore. And I've been, I've had a lot of musician friends go into deep, dark, you know, despair, a lot of athletes that I know that just really couldn't handle it. Um, it's a, it's immensely challenging because it's not like an author who can carry on working till he's 80, 90 years old, you know, on his deathbed or, you know, works can be released after he's gone. Nobody really cares what an author looks like or what they sound like, or, you know, they just, they just, they just can, and there's a lot of professions like that, but music is not one of them. And, um, Neither is, is a lot of like, again, athletes and stuff like that. So it's a tough, it, it, it's a tough life. And, uh, but in, in that regard anyway, but, um, but I felt like my transition was easier than some because a lot of times I, you know, I tried preemptively to look beyond, I, lo- I preemptively looked ahead. I, I tried not to put all my stock in Amberland and their, and its success, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, to say it was easier, I did it with grace is wrong. You know, like I've, you know, a lot of people getting out of the music scene have to, you know, go to psychologists and there was definitely a, a, a portion of a couple years of grieving, grieving this loss of, you know, again, going back to, you know, uh, you know, Amberlynn as a wife, if, you know, kind of grieving that divorce. I didn't talk to anybody in the band for two years, and I love those guys. But it was just, it was so hard. To, and, and they didn't call me. I didn't call them. It wasn't like we were trying to, we were just socially distancing for two yeah. years to kind of get over our own grieving process. And we all did it differently. And some took it harder. Some took it easier. Some were, you know, introspective while others lambasted out loud. And it was, it was a, it was a process. But um, yeah, it was uh, two years until we, I made my first phone call. And so then what was what was that like experience like when you guys started talking again and then eventually you guys you did some shows I remember it was announced that you guys would be supporting for one of Underos like comeback hometown shows and then you guys last year decided to go on the tour yourself um in both the states and Australia. So how is that how did that process start and then what made those tours and those shows different than the previous tenure of Amberlynn? Well, it took reconciliation. You know, I had to call, you know, I remember exactly where I was. I was on Corrales Road there in um, New Mexico, and I had to call the guys in the band and apologize. I had, you know, I had to humble myself and look for reconciliation and not, not because I want to play shows, not for any other reason, but I read a book that said, Enemies are a luxury, and none of the guys were my enemies. But I think what what I took away from the book was was that like why 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 is there any weirdness or oddity or bitterness? And so, to be honest, like for the last like year year and a half of Amberlynn, I was so mentally exhausted and checked out that I put very little um, substance, very little time into the other guys in the band. You know, like I would go through the motions of of being in a band. But my headspace was not there. My heart was not there. And, you know, none of that translated onto the stage. I mean, we gave 110% every single show. We laid it all out there in exhaustion. Um, But I was just mentally fatigued. I was physically fatigued. And and so, you know, for instance, you know, like after after the show, 
where other people were like hanging out in the front lounge or ordering pizza or or hanging out with friends. I was just in my bunk by myself, isolating and not hanging out. I wouldn't go visit, you know, fans just because I was exhausted, man. I was spiritually, emotionally drained. I was physically just felt like I was in the movie Groundhog's Day where I was just living the same day over and over. And that last year of touring was brutal. I think we were on the road eight months out of the 12 months. Um, I think, you know, I knew there was one day, a 14-day stretch where we were in 12 different time zones because we were traveling around the world. And I just, I, I didn't take it. No one fought. We didn't get angry. But I think that I just isolated and I checked out and um, and so I had to call the guys and just apologize, apologize for my behavior. And again, no one yelled, no one screamed, no one threw anything. But it was more just like just ignoring, you know, or, or not, not, a, not, I don't know how else to call it, just isolating. I isolated myself 100 you know, percent and um, got very internal and got very family focused and future focused and didn't really absorb in them, take in the moments and, and really um just I wasn't present. I wasn't I wasn't mentally present. And so it took me calling the guys and just apologizing. I am so sorry for that last year, year and a half. Um, that's on me. You know, I please forgive me. And um, and so yeah, that's what it took and that's that's where we were at. Well, so after that, you know, after me, you know, kind of like reaching out to the guys and apologizing, then it became a series of just kind of like you know, phone calls and texts and goofing off. And then, you know, one, you know, one conversation led to the next and we all were laughing. And then Nate was like, Hey man, under us playing a show in a couple months, you guys want to play. And then, you know, that got real where it was just like, Oh man, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of emotions that are entangled in that. And there's a lot of, you know, practicing and rehearsals and flights and, you know, where are we at? you know, as a team and as a band and as friends and as musicians. And we all kind of concluded that, you know, let's, 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 what's wrong with playing one show, you know, one show we can be together in the same room. Let's figure this out. And um, we did. And I think that a lot of the, the cool, I mean, I think a lot of things that we appreciated was that it wasn't our job anymore. It wasn't our responsibility to feed people. It wasn't, it wasn't our profession anymore. It was now back to being our passion. You know, music always starts as a hobby and then moves to passion and then it moves into professionalism. And I think somewhere along that professional up when money's involved and careers and families and all this stuff, it just amalgamates, no, not amalgamates, it metamorphosizes sometimes to what, what what is unrecognizable when you were just doing it as a hobby or a passion. And so now we're back to the passion hobby phase of it where it's new and exciting and fun and thrilling. And then that's where we we're all kind of like, all right, let's 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 just go and 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 major on the majors. Let's go and tour the where and how and when we want to tour. And instead of what's dictated to us like by record labels or management or booking agents or all these other, you know, outside voices talking. Um, and so we did, and it was a blast. We had a great time, and I'm pretty sure we're going to do it again at some point in history. That's awesome. That's that's good to hear. Okay, so then I'm going to be very specific here, but it was a tweet of yours a, a little bit over a year from now, and it was at um, it was at a Copeland show, which I think was, I believe, was maybe their their tour for their last album, Blushing, which was. I, I got the chance to see that, and that was an incredible it show. Was awesome. 
Um, So amazing. But your your exact tweet was, watching Copeland makes me want to do another Anchor and Braille album. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on the the origins or the beginnings of that creative process for this next record yeah i mean just i mean i i obviously did my first anchor and braille record with aaron marsh and he produced the entire thing and it was a dream i mean that guy's a, an incredible musician a great producer i you know like i love everything that guy touches it just turns it turns into the aaron midas touch um and wa- so watching that was very much like a man i i it just brings back all the good times that, like, you know, there's such a, I don't know how to explain it. You know, it's, it's, it must be like how, you know, I don't even know how to equate it to anything else. But you're just like, I got to get back on that stage. I want to do this again. I want to create music like this because I see what it's pulling for me as a fan. And, 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 I, and I just want to give other people that same feeling. And so from there, I had been songwriting with a lot of friends here and there. Um, it, it was really great, really cool. And then I went and, and wrote with my friend Tommy Iceland and Chad Carruthers in Nashville, Tennessee. And we were writing and just goofing off and stuff. And it, we were actually writing a really great song. And we were taking a quick break. And Chad was like, hey, man, why don't you check out this song I wrote? Maybe you can write to it someday. And I heard it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I went downstairs he sent it to me, Dropbox it to me. I got on my laptop. Fifteen minutes later, I came back up and I was like, "Check this out!" And it was, and it it turned out, dude, it was a banger. It was such a fun song, and I was like, "If you have any more demos like this, please let me have it." And uh, it turned out to be a song on this record called "Tethered." Well, Chad and I worked so well together, so easy and effortlessly together. That we just started, uh, you know, write this entire Anchor and Braille record together, and um, had a, so much fun doing it, and recorded, ended up recording, um, you know, a couple months ago here in February uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, at his stu- at his home studio, and dude, we were like laughing the whole time. It was a, it was so, he's such a dream to work with, great producer, you know. We we had to cut out so much just because we were like overdoing it, oversaturating. Just man, just we had a whole James Brown breakdown, and <laughs> his wife ended up coming in and just being like, "What are you guys doing in here?" And we played it for her. And she's like, "This is so over the top. You cannot put this on the record." And so we we're like, "Yeah, she's she's right." <laughs> so we got rid of we got rid of the whole part, but but it was um, but anyway, it was so fun, man. It was, it was good. So, so that's kind of where Anchor and Braille kind of like as far as this record was conceptualized at a Copeland show, but really brought about, you know, um, co-writing with a lot of great uh, songwriters in, in, in Nashville. That's awesome. And I love, I love that you can bring with like, with the taste that you have, I think for the, for the kids in the emo scene in the early 2000s, it was so crucial because I know for myself, I, I got into the Smiths because of your influence and because I was like, oh. well, if Stephen Christian and Anne Berlin like, <laughs> like the Smiths, then this has to be something I should get into. And that's incredible. And it's cool to see that for a lot of a lot of these kids, for maybe older artists that they may not be familiar with or they just may have never got into, such as like James Brown, you can bring those sort of influences to. So like what what other influences did you bring to this album, musical or even like literary or film? Because I know you're a very multifaceted artist. 
Yeah. This is as close. So my kids are on a huge Motown kick. They love my one daughter's favorite band is Stevie Wonder, and the other one is Nina Simone. And this is as close to a Motown record as I'm ever going to get. You know, I wish I wish I was around in that era. I wish I was writing, you know, and I, I pulled all that stuff off. Uh, but I can't, and I won't, I'm not there. I'm in 2020. And so it's just kind of like a modern-day Motown record. I guess that's the best way to, to kind of go about, you know, describing it. I love, so I love that. I love the innocence. It feels pure. It feels clean. It feels kind of like above the belt. It, it's just, it's it's carefree. So I took the carefree of Motown, mm-hmm. and I added it to a lot of influences that I still love, still appreciate. I'm, I'm, I love Frank Ocean. I love great, great production. I love simplicity and minimalism in music. I love, you know, amalgamating electronic with, 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 with uh, instrumentation. And so I think all those kind of combined into kind of forming this record. And the funny thing is, like, the, the album, this is before COVID, you know, it, the, the album's called, you know, Tension, and the first single is called Dangerous. And both of those are kind of tongue-in-cheek in the fact that, you know, the song's not about danger at all. You know, it's not like alligators and wolves and, you know, Scooby-Doo. It's nothing like that. It's very much like just a carefree song. And the album's called Tension, but there's no tension on it. It's actually a very carefree record. And so that's, you know ironically kind of it's perfectly time to come out and start being released right around it when everybody feels tension when it feels like there's danger and hopefully this record is kind of reprieve from all that where you can just put it on close your eyes you know and and i always i always kind of like imagine a scenario in a record you know like for instance like cities in amberlin was like literally exploring a city you know like seattle and there was you know like at at that time i was you know like had just gone to paris france and so cities to me was very much about proximity and exploring a dark city at night you know like prague i had prague in my head wandering at night so that was cities and then for like songs for a late night drive home was that's literal you know that's like i thought this was that record that you could put on and if there was a movie montage of you driving down an la strip street or a you know like uh, the 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 you know this downtown of your area you put this record on and this is your like I'm freaking um, you know I've got my leather jacket on I'm just cruising the street you put this record on um, and so for this one I thought of like uh, ironically I thought of like a person in their own room you know just just puts this on turns it all the way up they're by themselves and they're just like dancing like but just you know just having the best time, you know, maybe like their best friends laughing at them on the couch or, you know, say they're goofing off or they're they doing the stupidest dances they possibly can. That's this record. And so I think it's coming out at a perfect time as far as like I just lucked out in the fact that like this, we're at such a tense moment in society and this is the most carefree record I've ever put out. I Hearing your energy and enthusiasm, especially given the intention behind your artistic direction, it's just, it's so reaffirming. It's so cool to have an artist like that who is around and still influencing. Um, So first, I'm deeply appreciative of that. Um, I was wondering if I could ask, what is the difference between having that type of intention and mission as an artist, as a performing artist, um, who's writing these songs and then performing them, performing them on tour and laying out a record, and you can see the response um, 
from audience members and that kind of thing to your current job as a pastor now too what are the challenges similar are they different um and is the uh, does the difference in the audience like change how you approach that as well or i was wondering if you could maybe talk about the differences there too a little bit Man, I, I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan, and he's a great author. And so he basically, in a book called Know Your Why, you know, kind of whittles down onto, like, what what do you what do you see yourself as, mission, vision statements. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I have mine uh, right here sitting on my – man, if I could find it, it's on my – okay, yeah. So, so my, my life um, – my life mission statement is to build and utilize my platform to inspire and encourage those I share this life with to exceed their own expectations and wildest hopes. I desire to amplify Christ with word, action, and deed. So that's my personal mission statement in life. And so like the first part, to build and utilize my platform to inspire and encourage those I share this life with to exceed their own expectations as wildest hopes. Nothing's changed from Amberlynn to being a pastor in that regard. Mm-hmm. I Building a platform to be able to inspire people and to encourage people, man, I that's the one thing I wanted the people to walk away with from Amberlynn is just saying, dude, if those guys can do it from that little town, that I can do it. You know, I they, so I, I just still to this day challenge people to dream as big as possible, work as hard as they can, you know, with with this with the skills, the dreams, the passions that they have, and you just have no clue where life's going to take you. And in the same, that's the same thing as being a pastor. I want to get up on that stage and inspire and encourage people to be the best that they possibly can be. And so, in that one regard, that's that's exactly the same. That's all. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I guess that's amazing to hear. And I just, I again, you having had such a great influence on me musically and just personally like i just i thank you that you bring that type of intention in everything you do that's just that's that's really awesome and thanks jonathan um to end really uh to end very lightheartedly um this is a segment that one of my co-hosts has deemed the lightning round so it's a bunch of rapid fire questions and i'm actually going to steal uh Still, the questions I volunteer with are the youth ministry at my church, and so we were doing, we were going through a couple of these questions on our weekly hangout yesterday um, over Zoom. So this is our lightning round. Uh, we're going to call this Coronavirus Island Edition. So it's essentially your desert island choices. Uh, if you were stuck on an island waiting out this uh, quarantine for a while, what would you choose? Uh, so the first one is, which celebrity would you want to be stuck with? Celebrity? Yeah. Oh, man. The, my wife. She's my favorite celebrity. I'm, the, I'm her biggest fan. But besides my wife, probably anybody... You know, that has one of those reality shows about surviving. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like Bear, one of my kids said Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls! That'd be fun. He seems like a nice nice enough guy to help me get through so I can get back home. That's perfect. Bear, I'll take Bear Grylls. Nice. Um, I think I know the answer to this question, but it's good to get it on the record. Uh, which one bans music? Mm, man, that is tough. That's tough. Now, I would have to go with the Beatles simply because the Smiths only put out really put out three records and mm-hmm. you know so Jeff Buckley put out one so I'm gonna the Beatles put out a plethora so I would have to go with the Beatles because their catalog is so extensive 
I mean, not a not a bad choice to go with, regardless. No, 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 no. absolutely not. Um, and then, what fast food would you want dropped to you regularly? Mm, yes, Chipotle. Absolutely. You know, I could survive off just Chipotle. I'm pretty sure. So this this actually brought up a a good point uh, within our group because we're so Panera originated in St. Louis, and so. Oh. So we were actually talking about, like, well, does Panera count as fast food? It has a drive-thru now, but is it really fast food? So, like, do you, so Chipotle counts to you as fast food? I guess, you know, and it's not, you know, you're not, I guess you're not getting reservations, you know what I'm saying? So you don't have to, you don't have to go in and somebody doesn't have to seat you. So that's, I don't know, you're right. No, no that's fair. No, that's a great point. We were, yeah, I, I think we were only looking at the drive-thru aspect, but that. Drive-thru I mean, is, then, then I would probably take Panera because that's the healthiest, probably. That's the <laughs> one of the healthiest options you could choose. Well, um, I, I, speaking as someone from St. Louis, I deeply appreciate that. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Steven, uh. What give us a couple of information about the about the album? Yeah, so it's going to be released May twenty second on uh, To the Nail Records. The album's called Tension. It's uh, ten songs. We'll be releasing a few singles before it comes out. Uh, my favorite song on the record is is probably uh, No Ordinary. Um, I think that's going to be the next one to be released. Um, I'm not really clear. It's uh, up to the record label to to figure that out. Um, who knows if I'll tour? That'd be so much fun. But either way, it was such a, a pleasure and privilege to be able to write. And the positive feedback I've got so far has been really, really cool. So pretty excited about it. And be sure to check out uh, his latest single from that album, too, Dangerous. You can find it wherever, right? Wherever you can find music. Absolutely. Spotify to Apple Music to, you know, um, the vinyl is up uh, for sale right now. So whatever you whatever you choose, whatever medium you choose. Nice. And where can people connect with you online, Steve? Anywhere uh, at Christian Music. So from LinkedIn to to to, you know, whatever, Twitter to Instagram, Facebook. It's just Christian Music. Awesome. Steven, thanks so much for sitting down to talk with me. Uh, it was an absolute it was an absolute pleasure and honor again. That's awesome, Jonathan. Thank you very much, man. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. See you, man. That's going to do it for this episode of Middle of the Dial. I'm Jonathan Rahul. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at another Rahul J, and make sure to follow our website on Twitter at middle of row or just check us out on our website at www.middleofrow.com and remember the best songs are in the middle of the dial